This is Melanie Ake, your host for Everyday Leaders 50 and 50 podcast. Everyday Leaders is an inspirational show to help you develop strategies to overcome everyday obstacles in your life. Today on Everyday Leaders, you'll meet Kelly Eckwurzel, a two-time breast cancer survivor, entrepreneur, and recent widow who every day wakes up with intentionally creating the environment that allows her to add value to others. Kelly's life has taught her how to be a river, not a reservoir. Start your personal growth journey today. Learn how to be an everyday leader in your life. Go to everydayleaders.com, where you can register for classes to develop your own leadership strategies. Or gather with us each morning for our leadership devotionals. You can also invest in yourself with personal life coaching. Remember, you can still help us fill the Airstream Mobile Studio with shoes and backpacks. We're supporting Olivia Russo Hood's Save the Earth Project and our own Hoosier foster care agencies. Go to everydayleaders.com for our schedule of local collection sites and dates. Welcome to Everyday Leaders 50 and 50, Kelly Eckwurzel. I am so excited. You're finally on Everyday Leaders. It's a delight to be here. Oh, my goodness. I have known you. I always go back to to the story of how we met. And we met online in a mastermind group. And it wasn't until several months later that we actually got to connect in person. And I have loved being connected to you, Kelly, because you know this. I tell you this all the time. You have inspired me beyond belief, thinking about what you have gone through in your life. And I cannot wait to share your story to inspire everyone in the world that they can overcome obstacles every single day, just like you do. So thank you for sharing your story today. My pleasure. Uh, You know, when we think about our lives, I want you to help us understand, you know, Kelly Eckwurzel is, is a warrior. I always tell my friends when I think... How do I describe Kelly? Because you've not only battled health consequences and overcome those, you've overcome losing really significant people in your life and always finding joy and success in helping to provide value to others. And so you live in Texas, in um, in Austin, Texas. And, uh, and so all the things that you do uh, in the community and all the things that you give back to your family, and all the struggles that you've been through, what would you say for you, what's been the biggest significance in changing how you feel about yourself and connecting to the world? That's a good question. Um, There have been so many things in my life that have made big differences, but I think the one that kind of formed me into who I am 
happened when I was about 12 years old, maybe 13. Um, I had been staying with my, my grandmother and my aunt in New Jersey and was about ready to go home to Florida. Uh, school was starting in a few weeks. And so they thought that I was old enough to go home on the bus. Good old Greyhound back then. And um, at the same time, the little girl that lived next door to my grandmother, uh, she was going to go visit her grandmother just for a week or two before school started. So they said we could go together. We had played in each other's homes so many times, not just that summer, but other summers. And we were very comfortable with e with each other. She was a beautiful little girl, had blonde hair, beautiful tan. Her parents were mixed race. Her father was just as black as you can imagine, and her mother was Pennsylvania Dutch with beautiful blue-black hair and the creamiest white skin you can imagine. So although this little girl looked like she just simply had a good tan, she knew that for that period of time back then, she was she was what we then called a colored person, a black girl. Well, we traveled together, and as 12-year-old girls do, we held hands. And when we got off the bus in South Carolina, our first stop south, south of the Mason-Dixon line, um, you know, back then they didn't have toilets on the buses, so uh, we had stops where we were able to get off and go. And I started heading towards the white restroom. And of course, Titsi knew, her name was Teresa, but we called her Titsi. She knew that she couldn't go there. And, and so she said that. And so I said, oh, no problem. I'll come with you. And she went, oh, oh no, you can't do that. And I don't think I'll ever forget the look in her eyes when she realized that I had never experienced discrimination and didn't even know what it was. Mm. That was a life-changing moment for me. And I didn't know it then, but I, I've thought about it many times over the years, how people can treat each other different simply because of what their background is, regardless of what they look like. It was just something that changed me forever. Mm -hmm. It was an obstacle that might have gotten in the way of our friendship ultimately, but it didn't, thank goodness. Mm -hmm. And you, it, was, it was a huge obstacle for me. Well, and at that age, you know, how many yeah. of us think, think about an experience at 10, 11, 12, 13 years old when you have such significant influence about peers and comparing yourself to how others may react and the mm -hmm. strength that you've always had, this goes back to, you know, telling your story, Kelly, of why you can look at things now the way you do and how strong you are and courageous you are to get through those obstacles in life. Because early on, you learned what you believed. I did. I had parents that loved me with all their hearts, thank goodness. I, uh, you know, I, I've talked to a lot of people that say, you know, I had a, a bad childhood. I, I had this problem and that problem. I didn't. I, I had parents that were there for me as, as long as they could be. My father, unfortunately, died when I was 13, so he died a little after that incident. But um, my mother was always there for me, and she was, she was a tower of strength in a four-foot-ten body. Uh, she was a little dynamo, a spitfire, uh, her boss used to call her. Um, but she had grown up uh, to Irish-Norwegian parents, born in the United States, but raised for the most part in Norway. And it made her very strong. Uh, 
And that's the way she raised her children. Uh, she raised all of us to understand that we could pretty much do anything that we put our mind to, assuming it was legal, of course. <laughs> she always put that caveat in there, uh, to to get where we want to go, that we just needed to figure out the how and, and the resources. Mm-hmm. So early on, I mean, she she gave me the ability to make decisions that I would discover later in life were huge decisions for a child to make. And I'm sure she did them, you know, with veto power, so to speak. But um, she allowed me to make decisions so much earlier than so many children are are capable of doing because they haven't been given that opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, just a year before this other incident happened, I had been diagnosed with a curvature of the spine. And it was severe enough that back then they wanted to do uh, put a rod in my back. And um, my parents discussed it with me. They went over all the pros and cons and, you know, uh, what the pain would be, what the healing time would be if I did it. If I didn't do it, then it would be this. And, uh, I mean, we went over it in detail. And ultimately they said, okay, your body, your decision. And I decided not to have the rod put in my back. Mm-hmm. Now, I made what I considered the right decision for all the wrong reasons, because I wanted to be a cheerleader. I mean, you know, come on, I was 12. <laughs> so, But they gave me the opportunity to make a decision and to know both the good and the bad of that decision. You know, I, I was it was explained to me that there would be this long operation. Uh, then I would be laid up for, I think they said, seven or eight months in, in a hospital bed. Uh, different things like that, and supposedly it was going to take the pain away from my back. Now, I guess over the years, I've I've either ignored the pain or gotten used to it, but I still have a curvature of the spine, but I just don't let it slow me down. It's just part of me. Mm -hmm. Because what you always learn and what you always teach others around you (laughs) is to kind of accept things the way that they are, and accept things that you cannot change. Mm-hmm. And make the best of them. And make the best of them. And you do that every no. single day. People that know you, people need to know you if they don't, first of all, because you have this exuberance for life. And I, and I think it's part of that. It's just what you've learned from being very young. And like you said, having your parents being able to give you that control of making decisions and understanding some of the consequences right, that many people don't have that opportunity to do today, or we've taken the opportunity away from people because we're trying to protect them, right? We think, well, they don't know enough, or they can't make that decision yet, and so we'll make that decision for them. And mm-hmm. and today, it could be called helicopter parents, or uh, I don't know, they call them all kinds of things today, as far as the mm-hmm. parenting environment, but it's also relationships, you know, you can have yes. friends or community or church or family or spouse, all these things that we need to think about that are we designing our life to be successful for what our strengths are and how do we show up and meet people where they are in our life? And that mm-hmm. is so critical. That is so critical. The things that you do, Kelly, you volunteer. You have to connect mm-hmm. to people and in many different settings, you're on computer training and, and you've become a John Maxwell certified coach, trainer, and speaker. And you've, you've just evolved yeah. in your life through this. You are a breast cancer 
survivor. Yes, twice. Twice. And and so the people that you're connected to, you know, you are just a source of inspiration. And and so what feeds you? Because when we learn about personal growth and we talk about if our cup isn't full, we can't give it out. And you are the first person. You are the first person to give to everything that you're involved in. So how do you fill your cup? You know, I think I fill it by simply living and celebrating life. Um, There's so much good in our world. And I know sometimes it doesn't seem that way, but there's so much beauty. I I can look out the window from where I'm sitting at my desk and I can see the beautiful spring green color popping out all over the place. And it's just gorgeous. And it just, it reminds me that life is here to celebrate and it doesn't matter where we are or what the circumstance, there's always something to celebrate. Mm-hmm. When you were talking a moment ago, we were talking about, um, uh, and my mind just went totally blank, uh, decision-making. I think one of the things that I learned from my parents way back then, I've been able to pass on to my children. And I remember when my youngest son was probably six years old and, uh, Charlie and I got married and his children were older than I, my children then were six and eight and his were teenagers, all young teenagers. And they could not make decisions on their own. Like my children could, they didn't understand that my boys had been making the decision of what do I wear today? For example, since they were like 18 months old, Mm -hmm. no, I would put out different uh, outfits and say, which one do you want? And they they got in the habit of making decisions, but that's not something that a lot of parents do. You talked about helicopter parents, you know, a long moment ago. My kids had lots of freedoms. I mean, it wasn't that they weren't uh, supervised, but they got to make decisions very early on. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's so important because as you you know, if if people are listening to this that are parents, that are grandparents. Right. It's the influence that we have because we know from our teaching, from our mentor, leadership is all about influence. And that's what this program is about. How do you overcome obstacles using the strategies that you've learned and that you develop? And and one of those is decision making. Right. Because um, if you take away that power, then that person, that individual doesn't feel confident and and has a lot of uh, fears about stepping into that situation the next time. You know, it could be as driving a car or protecting them from, you know, learning something, uh, holding them back from learning something or not being able to, you know, be involved in a social group because of the fear of they may be exposed to something versus getting into a group of kids or, or a setting and being able to make those confident decisions that, just because the group is doing something, I don't have to be involved in it, you know, if I, if I understand the consequences. And, and I think exactly. today that's a big lesson for people, it is. But kids Definitely. or adults, right? Mm-hmm. 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 Very definitely. Because the world goes by so fast and there are so many influences around us with this, you know, today we're, we're talking on a day when we've just pretty much the country's being closed down because of all this media awareness of a virus 
right? The coronavirus. And, mm-hmm. and so it's causing people to think and act differently and either be fearful or step into it with control. And so as, as we know, right, as leaders, we think about all those things that we can do in our lives to protect our environments and to, to step into that where there meet other people that are scared and, and trying to, you know, figure out what the next step is going to be and, and, and how they're going to react to all of this. And because for you, you know, as you, as you teach, um, and I know this, so I'm going to ask you a little bit more, but you teach a group called Aging is Cool in Austin. I do. I'm, I'm one of their instructors. They have several instructors and, I, and I'm one of them. Yes. So and we have so much fun with it. Uh, we are blessed to be able to go into independent living residences, assisted living, uh, memory care units, as well as uh, senior recreation centers. And we give presentations on a variety of topics. And we also do two classes. One is called Stay Smart, and the other is called Stay Strong. Stay Smart is all brain games. And Stay Strong includes physical movement. Now, we do some physical movement in the in the brain games because we want to make sure that they're connecting the left side of the body to the right side of the body. Uh, and th- that's just critically important for anybody who's aging. And it doesn't mean just people who are elderly, but anyone, because we all are aging, whether you're two or, or you know, 200, <laughs> everybody's <laughs> getting older. <laughs> we all need to be aware of those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And I get such pleasure out of doing those classes. Uh, it, it's, it's hard to, to quantify the, the feeling when you see somebody who's, in some cases, sitting there and almost drooling or falling asleep, and I, I don't mean to denigrate them, but you know they're they're not participating, they're not involved in life, and then you start talking, and all of a sudden they wake up, and they have this awareness, and they start smiling, or they might even start talking with you. Mm-hmm. I had one lady back. Oh, it's got to be four or five months ago now. I thought she'd fallen asleep during the uh, presentation and come to find out she, she does doze off. That's part of her problem. But she came up afterwards and she had such a strong voice and we started talking and I think I stayed there for an extra 20 minutes simply talking to this one woman because she got ignited uh, for something that, that uh, brought her back to her passions. And uh, it, it was just such a wonderful thing to see. If somebody had told me a few years ago that I would be doing this in nursing homes, in especially in the the memory care units, I would have told them that they were out of their ever loving mind. <laughs> um, back in the nineties, I well, let me go back to the eighties. In the eighties, I had my grandmother who lived with me for many years in a nursing home for four years, and so I was in and out of nursing homes continuously then, and I hated them at that point in time. They are nothing like they are now. Then in the 90s, my mother, my mother-in-law, and my father-in-law were all put in the same nursing home at roughly the same time. They all uh, started living there within about three months of each other. Well, that was both bad and good. Bad, of course, because they were there and they needed to be. My mother-in-law had had a stroke. My my mother had congestive heart failure, among other things. Um, 
my father-in-law, God bless him, he said, we've been together this many years and I'm not leaving her now. So he just went along with her. Uh, they, when she finally passed, they've uh, been married 66 years, which is just so inspiring to me. Wonderful people. But that was the bad part, having, you know, knowing that they had to be there. The good part was with three people in there, and that meant that myself, my husband, my children, my sister-in-law, brother-in-law, and her, their children all went and visited. So they got the best service because people there never knew when somebody was going to pop in mm-hmm. and say hello to grandma or grandpa or the other grandma. Mm-hmm. Uh, and our kids were all at least teenagers. They were all uh, at least driving or older at that point in time. So we just never knew when somebody was going to pop in there. Uh, it was, it was, it was an interesting time. Uh, we learned a lot. And even then I networked, I ended up becoming the president of the, uh, uh, what do they call it? It wasn't residents association, the residents Fa- families association, I guess is what it was called. Mm-hmm. Um, and we got changes made that were good for the nursing home then. And it was a good one. Uh, I'm not saying that it wasn't good, but it got better. Awareness, you know, you and I have both taken the 15 laws class a number of times. And, uh, you know, whenever I look at something like that, I think of, you know, was a second law, I think it is, isn't it? Uh, The law of awareness. Oh, yeah. And that's so important, so critically important. Now, how many times in our lives do people walk down a road and if you said okay tell me five things that are on that road they'd go what i I don't know what you're talking about Mm -hmm. so you you have to have an awareness of not only what's going on around you but what's going on in you Mm -hmm. i think that's the important part it's really important because as you tell that story if people are closing their eyes and listening to this you can all think of a situation where you've had to do something that might feel uncomfortable like putting people in a place that you don't know is safe, right? You don't know what that's about Mm -hmm. and you don't, you know, it has to change because you're not able to take care of at a level. And so many people are experiencing this today. But if you say, how can I get involved? How am I aware of where I am today? What are the strengths that I have to be able to give? And maybe can I help improve the situation, Right. Instead of showing up yeah. being afraid of and saying, I don't have any control over, then what do you do to give yourself to make that a better situation and be part, be part of that journey instead of just uh, an on, you know, on the side watching things happen? Be involved. And that's where in the 15 laws of growth, we, you know, we talk about increasing our capacity to see ourselves in a different way. And, and this goes back to when you were young, you learned the confidence to stand up and do what you believed in. And you were given that opportunity to stand up and show that confidence. And That's so true. My sister and I were talking about that not too long ago. Um, the person I call my sister is actually my cousin, but we lived together for a number of years when unfortunately her mother became ill. And so my mother, her sister, uh, took over and, uh, and Eileen lived with us. Uh, so we grew up as sisters, even though we're cousins, but, uh, we were talking about how I'm much more outgoing than she is. Um, 
And she'd be the first one to tell you that, that what I just said was correct. Not that she can't be outgoing, but it's not as easy for her as it is for me. But the first few years when we lived in Florida, we meaning my mother and father and I, before Eileen came to live with us, we lived at a uh, motel on Clearwater Beach. And the reason we lived there was because my mom and dad ran the motel. They were the managers. Well, when you manage a motel, at least back in those days, you lived in an apartment that was part of the motel. And whenever somebody walked into your front door, they were there for business. So I was taught that when somebody walked in, you spoke to them. I never thought about what it would do for me later in life, but I've talked to some really neat people. Mm -hmm. Um, Several seasons, the Phillies stayed there. And so whenever they would come in, I would get to meet all the, the, the guys and their, their families and their wives. And, uh, and I even learned how to play baseball because of them. Because when they would come home in the evening from their spring training, they would take their kids and go across to the, the, the um, park next, across the street. And they would invite me to come over. And that's how I learned how to play baseball. Mm-hmm. There's not many women that can say, hey, I learned how to play baseball playing with the Phillies. <laughs> I think I'm probably one of the few. <laughs> But it, but it was an experience that it didn't occur to me that I should be in awe of these gentlemen, and they were gentlemen. It, it, they were just the guys that lived there. Mm-hmm. And so I learned how to speak to all of them and wasn't afraid to speak. And I think that's the key. It, I never, it never occurred to me that everybody isn't just the same. You know, whether you're the CEO or the janitor, you're just another person. Mm-hmm. That's so true. And how you affect, how you show up. So having that confidence to be able to talk to them was the first step, right? It was having that smile, having, not being afraid to say, oh, who are you and how are you? And many mm-hmm. times today it's don't speak to strangers, don't do this, you know, stay most people today, they were on their phones, so they won't even know somebody walks into their room. <laughs> but you miss out on those things, right? So now I even think about the world today is we can't go into our normal environments, you know, 14 days, 30 days. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to have to show up differently. We're going to have to maybe do things or concentrate differently with our families that we're not used to being around because we're being forced to. We're going to be in isolated situations and it's going to really speak to how do we interact with each other, you know, for long periods of time when normally it's going to be off of our normal routine. And so building strategies to be able to say, okay, how do we get creative, right? Families that can't go to Disney World that have been planned to kind of be structured for two weeks on, on spring break, now they have to stay home. So it's... If you've learned and maybe to, even talk to each other. Right. Right. And so <laughs> being curious, being creative, finding out, you know, maybe you can play and set up different games with your families because now you have that opportunity to really connect to them in a different way. Uh, yes. and really learn and listen. And so when I think about curiosity with you, Kelly, there are so many things of as you've lived your life through generations and things that have happened to you. You've traveled the world extensively. You've, you, you're always a giver and always an influencer to add value. 
How do you, how do you um, what would you say to someone that says, you know, there's a lot of things that I would love to do, but it, I can't. Like, it's not for me. I, I would love to go travel the world. I would love to go to Chile. I would love to go see places. But, you know, I don't have the funds. I don't have the, someone to travel with me. I don't have, you know, all these barriers. You've experienced mm-hmm. that. What were your thoughts when you first started planning your trips across the world and doing things on your own, traveling independently? Well, I I was blessed about 15 years ago that the company that I was working for at the time put out an invitation for people to volunteer to go to one of three places. Uh, This was, uh, it was going to be a trip that would be taken in October, November, and December. And they said, we need people to go to Edmonton, Canada. Now, I'm not a fan of cold weather. Um, Phoenix, Arizona, which obviously is not, excuse me, not cold, but I mean, I could go there anytime living in the United States or the Philippines. And I opted for the Philippines and went over there for several months. Um, I was the only one of our eight person team who didn't know the rest of the team until we got to the airport. Uh, The other seven had all met each other and worked together in the Tucson office. And I was located in Dallas at the time. And, um, because of my background with financial planning and tax preparation and things like that, uh, they decided that I would be a, a good person to have on the team, and I'm delighted that they were. And so I got to go over there, really not knowing anybody, but yet comfortable because I was with the the group that I, I worked with online because we did a lot of stuff online even back then. Seems funny to say 15 years ago that we were online. <laughs> At any rate, <laughs> times have changed. Mm-hmm. At any rate, um, yeah, so that kind of gave me a good comfort zone. Now, going back earlier, I told you my mom and dad ran a motel, but after they had divorced, um, my dad went back to driving a bus, so he was always meeting people, so he was very outgoing. And my mother became a travel agent and travel escort, so she traveled the world. You know, when people say, I don't have the money, I think of her. You know, she was she started as a bookkeeper with the AAA and ultimately became a travel agent. And I can't even begin to count the number of trips that she took uh, during the summer and whatever breaks that we were on. She would always try to sell enough uh, to to be able to take me with her uh, on those trips. So as a teenager, I went on a lot of uh, cruises when it really wasn't the the thing to take kids on, on cruises. So I was very blessed in that respect. And, and again, I got to meet people that, you know, it didn't occur to me that I shouldn't be comfortable around them. I would sit at the captain's table. I would meet the entertainers and so on. And it was just part of my life. It became normal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing, right? When we step into something that we're afraid of, Soon it becomes pretty common and consistency that we we start to learn what what we thought we were fearful of, and then it becomes yeah. kind of commonplace to us. And we grow, you know that that that's how we grow. Mm-hmm. We take on a, a a new adventure, so to speak, 
And after just a little while, we realized we're doing things that we couldn't have done before. Uh, you mentioned Chile, and I was blessed to be able to go down there two, two summers ago uh, and do a four-week Spanish immersion course. And I'll be the first one to tell you I didn't learn anywhere near enough Spanish. And that was my own fault because one of the other uh, students there was an English-speaking person from Australia who befriended me, and we hung out together, and we spoke English way too much while we were there. <laughs> but we had a blast, and and I went by myself. I didn't know anybody when I went down, when I got on the plane to go, it, but it was something that I, I knew I needed to do. And it gave me the opportunity not just to learn how to speak some Spanish, but also to hike in the Andes to see the Pacific Ocean from South America, to learn about um, authors and poets and other influential people in their countries. Uh, saw, saw some of the museums that were down there. Just had a tremendous trip to a town called um, Valparaiso, which is uh, almost on the water and uh, has just a large amount of beautiful street art down there. So, uh, you know, I got to experience a lot of different things uh, by being a little bit adventuresome and just saying, yeah, this is something I'm going to do. I'm not going to put things off anymore. Back about, um, I guess it was five years ago, uh, my husband and I were sitting on the back porch talking as we did many days. And we had talked so many times about taking a trip when we retired all over the United States and checking out the different national parks. We talked, we had talked about it for over 20 years and I kept saying, let's do it. Let's do it. No, I don't want to do it. I'm too tired. I, it's too long a drive, you know, every excuse you can think of. And so this one day it was in September and I said, okay, I'm going to go take this trip. We said, we were going to do it. I'm going to do it. And he said, I'm not going. And I said, okay. And he just looked at me and I said, I'm going to take our dog, one of them anyway. I left one home, took one with me and, and I took off in the car, packed mm. it up, packed some food so I could have snacks and <laughs> off I went and went from, we were living in the Dallas area. No, I take that back. We were living down here in, in, in Austin, drove straight up North all the way to Mount Rushmore, someplace that I had always wanted to see. And then I went West and drove through some of the most beautiful country I've ever seen, going through, driving through Wyoming and uh, Idaho uh, into Washington State. And then coming back, I drove through Oregon and California and uh, all the, the states along I-10 I coming back over uh, east again. And it was a phenomenal experience. I was gone 23 days. Just me and my dog met some incredible people <laughs> and did things that I never expected to do by myself. Mm -hmm. I found that when I needed there to be somebody there for me, there always was. Mm -hmm. And one particular thing comes to mind. I was driving. Oh, let me think. I think it was Wyoming. I was going to go see someplace called Medicine Wheel. And 
you know how when you, you're in the car and you kind of talk to yourself? I'm not sure if I was talking out loud or, or if it was just all going on in my head. <laughs> but I was thinking, boy, I really wish that I had somebody to experience this with. Mm-hmm. And I see the sign and I turn off and I can see dust ahead of me on the, the, the drive. And the sign had said, I think it was three miles to Medicine Wheel, a mile and a half to the parking lot. So I was thinking that it was a mile and a half to the parking lot and then a mile and a half to the walk. No, it was three miles from the parking lot. So I walked a lot, lot further than I expected that day. However, when I got to the parking lot, the dust that had been created before had been made by a man uh, who also came alone. His wife was ill. And as he got out of the car, he looked over at me and he said, you know, I was hoping I'd have somebody to walk with as we, as I walked up to Medicine Wheel. And like I said, neither one of us realized how long a walk it would be. But it took us, I don't know, several hours as we walked all the way up there. We Both of us sat down and meditated while we were there and then walked back together. My dog was just bouncing all over the place, having a delightful time being able to be off leash at the time. <laughs> it was something that I hadn't expected, but but yet... When I made the desire known, God provided. Mm -hmm. And I think that's that's probably one of the biggest things that I've learned all the way through my life. When I want something, I ask for it. Mm -hmm. And God provides so many times in so many ways that I had not even begun to imagine. And it gets even better. Mm -hmm. Well, and... Because I know you so well, Kelly, I know that part of your challenge, and if I had to describe you, and I had to pick out one law from the 15 laws of growth, because that is what has really transformed my life and my connection to everyone that I meet, is the law of the environment. Because for you, it's not uncomfortable to take yourself out of your house and step into something new every single day. You thrive on that. And this opens up with saying growth thrives in conducive surroundings. And that means you have to put yourself out there. You have to put yourself into places that you're going to learn, that you're going to stretch, that you're going to grow, that you can put yourself around people. That's the key thing, too, is for people that are listening to this thinking, oh, my goodness, this woman has strength that I could never get. And they can. They just need to be able to say they're worth it. And, you know, this life is pretty short. And you've, ex- yeah. you've experienced having breast cancer twice as a survivor. You just lost your husband a year ago. You have not let anything stop you. You've had significant loss like many people at the point in your life have. But, you know, instead of saying, well, this is sad, or I'm not able to do this, or I can't find the funds to do these things any longer because of my conditions, right, because of where I am in my life. You step into that fully, and and it also has allowed people to provide things to you and for you because you give so much to them. And that's where I think, you know, we all have the capacity to change our outcomes. If we really step and think, what is it important? What's important to us? What are our strengths? And what really what inspires us, right? And so 
for you, I always see Kelly as, what is she going to try next? What is she going to go start next? And so, you know, today here, I want to tell a little bit of story because I know you personally, but the Aging is Cool program that is so important to you and you've poured so much into and you research things that you're going to go tell stories to these groups that you teach. You love this. You love to share. And so because of the coronavirus, it's, it's been shut down for a little bit because of the contact, right? We don't want to infect or, or expose. And so, but what's great is there are more opportunities that are being poured out for you because people know Kelly will show up. Kelly will be available. Kelly loves to learn. Kelly is curious about helping and adding value. And that's what people as everyday leaders do. They show up to inspire other people to be the best. You know, you, you, you used a word there that I've heard mentioned so many times, and it's, it's another one of the laws, and that's the law of curiosity. Mm-hmm. And throughout my entire life, I've been told, why do you ask so many questions? <laughs> uh, somebody said that to me just yesterday. I was asking a question uh, about a race matter, as a matter of fact. And race being not some place to run, but uh, what what race are you? And they said nobody has ever asked me that question before. Uh, and it, and it it was a silly thing. I simply said, "How many people of color do you know that have freckles?" <laughs> and they looked at me and said. Nobody ever asked me that before. And I said, well, it just occurred to me. I have freckles. I'm a light-skinned person. Uh, When I was younger, I had red hair. Now it's gone kind of blondish. But I've had freckles all my life. And it I don't know why it popped into my brain at that point, but it was like, why don't other races have freckles? And some do. I mean, I think of, um, uh, there's an actor, um, Morgan Freeman. He has freckles. Mm Mm-hmm. And he's a black man, but they're not as obvious, I guess, because of the of the rest of his coloring. So I've, I've always asked questions. I've, I've always, in fact, sometimes it's gotten me in trouble because I've asked too many questions. And sometimes it's helped others because I've asked questions that somebody else was afraid to ask. Mm-hmm. Um, when I worked for the company that I went overseas with, we would do our, our team meetings online, on the phone, actually, not online. I shouldn't say online, uh, because we were a remote team. And there were times when I would ask a question, and then I would get two or three text messages within 10 minutes saying, I'm so glad you asked that question. I was afraid to ask it. And it just didn't occur to me that it wasn't something that I should ask. I just... I thought it, so I asked it. And I don't mean that I was rude, but I would ask questions that would at times be hmm, not well-received because the, and I'm going to use a term that we don't use a lot right now, the management, not leadership, but management didn't want those things answered. Mm-hmm. And and it it taught me that there really isn't a wrong question if you're asking it respectfully. That's mm-hmm. mm-hmm. so true. Mm-hmm. It's so true because you just want to know, you know, you just want to know. And you, exactly. and because you can use that then for you 
It's all about, as a leader, you ask those questions so that you can find out how to connect and add value to them. Because then you're going to go research and find out, well, what does that mean? And how can I then show up differently and understand what your needs are? Because I want to show up for you. And that's what Kelly is all about. (laughs) That's what Kelly is all about. And I'm going to, I'm going to close this here because I want to just touch on this real quick. In the 15 laws of growth, in the law of the environment, this is really what I've circled that epitomizes you. And I want people to listen to this podcast, go back to it again, and have the takeaways of how they can change their life by doing the things that you've explained through these, right? It says, in a growth environment. So if you're ready to grow, you're ready to change your life, you're ready to take that step, not be fearful, it says... Don't be afraid of these things, that others are ahead of me. Don't worry about that. Just start. you got to start from where you are. Mm-hmm. You have to be continually challenged. Whatever that looks like for you, step into learning something new to challenge yourself. Focusing forward. So don't look behind you. Look ahead of you. What do you see in your future that you need to learn, that you want to learn, that you can learn. The atmosphere... That's, that's critical. It, it is critical, right? It is very critical uh, because sometimes we think we're thinking about forward, but we're really not taking the action. We just stay stagnant. Um, the next thing is the atmosphere is affirming. So like you said, you've got to get around the right people. Whether you do it and step out of it alone, you'll find the right people that are affirming what you need to do, whether it's climbing that mountain, whether it's taking that trip, whether it's experiencing something that you want to in your heart and soul experience, get around those affirming people. Um, I am often outside of my comfort zone. You've done many, many things in your life that have pushed you outside. And then it makes you, you get comfortable because you learn it, right? Um, The next one is I wake up excited. I've never every day. I've never seen Kelly any day wake up not excited about something. What's going to be the challenge today? And and that excites people around her. Um, there's four more. Failure is not my enemy. So when we learn something, it's because how you grow. right, it's how we grow. That's exactly right. Mm-hmm. So thinking about your aging is cool, and the story that you tell about how passionate you are on that. Now we, we say, well, maybe we can't show up in that environment because of some of the restrictions, but how do we fail forward and learn how to connect with, with that same environment? So trying different things, right, that may or may not work, but, but being able to be vulnerable enough to try those things. Um, and we're, we're going to do that in, in that particular venue. We're going to start using Zoom in order to present to people. It, it, you know, it's not the same, but it's definitely better than not having them connect at all. Exactly. And you don't know how that's going to make them feel. or But, you know, the memory for that is you tried something that was different and you may just inspire that one person that needed that that day, that wasn't feeling connected, that didn't feel a part of. And so that's how you're stretching yourself to help others. Um, the next one is others are growing. So you're helping others grow. This is exactly what you do. Um, people desire change. Oh, now see, this is really interesting because people desire change, but
but we're afraid to change. We say we fear it. People fear change. Mm -hmm. I don't think they fear it. They desire it. They don't know how to get there. And so taking those baby steps, right, and not being fearful of it. And then the last one is growth is modeled and expected. So, Kelly, when I watch you, why I think you exemplify this law is because you model it and you expect it out of yourself. And so you show up, you trade off the things that you need to trade off to get those things done because you know that at the end of the day, that's going to fulfill you bigger than anything else that you could do. You know, that was something that my mother taught me many years ago and my grandmother as well. Neither my mother nor my grandmother finished high school. In fact, my grandmother only went through the eighth grade. Mother went all the way through the uh, the 12th grade. But it, at, in Norway, that was the ne- next to the last school school year at, uh, at that time. At any rate, um, both of them insisted that we all of all of us had to read every day. Uh, there was not a week that I could remember growing up in, in our household where we didn't go to the library and check out not one, but four or five or six or seven books. And we would read them. And sometimes we read them together and sometimes we would read them by ourselves. But, but it was always expected that we would learn something. And when we got to the dinner table, we would be expected to tell what we learned that day. Mm-hmm. One of the first times that I asked my youngest grandson, who is 10 now, um, what did you learn today? And he said, what do you mean? And I said, well, you went to school. You must have learned something. And he said, well, we read. And I said, but what did you read? What did you learn? Did you see a new bug? Did, you know, what did you learn? <laughs> and now he expects it. Whenever we get together, he goes, Grandma, guess what I learned today? And he's all excited about it, and he's got to tell me about it. And it's wonderful. Mm-hmm. So I think that that was something that was instilled in me a long, long time ago. Um, I'd like to come back to one thing that we talked about just very briefly, and that is overcoming obstacles around you sometimes gives you an awareness, hopefully all the time, but it doesn't happen all the time, of how blessed you are. Um, Unfortunately, cancer has not been a friend in my family. Uh, I am one of seven biologically connected family members who have had cancer. I'm the only one that has lived to tell about it. My husband also had cancer. In fact, he had more than one kind, and he let it take his life also because he gave up, which was sad, but that's his path. At any rate, my point there is that when when the doctors realized I had cancer the second time, they said, tell me all about your family. Interesting, they didn't ask me that question the first time, but you know, 20 years ago, it's, it was a different time. And so they did these genetic tests and come to find out that what I had was not uh, passed down genetically. So it was just part of the environment. I don't know what, I don't even know how how to explain how I ended up getting two different kinds 20 years apart. And one of those was stage four way back when. And yet here I am telling about it. So what's the lesson there? How do you, how do you move forward with something like that? 
when the first person that I remember in my family uh, having cancer was an uncle, and he had both lung cancer and brain cancer. And I can remember my mother going, shh, don't sell anybody. Mm-hmm. As if it was something that was contagious and that, that it was uh, to be feared and to be embarrassed that Uncle Fred had cancer. Now, thankfully, we can talk about it. And, you know, I can tell my grandchildren, my granddaughters, you know, make sure you get your mammograms. Don't be afraid of this. So there's an awareness that we didn't have years ago that I think is just fabulous, that we don't have to hide things any longer, that we can talk about who we are and and how we're feeling and and learn from those things and go forward in that way. It's so true. And it's that fear, you know, the knowledge, the fear, because then you can show up for people differently. If you understand that, then you can give them that confidence like you gained early on. Mm-hmm. And that's why you're here, Kelly, because you give us all that that big smile and that warm embrace of, you know, I'm here to help you with your journey. And I know that you have a, a company, uh, the Clarity Coaching and, uh, and so as a leader, you know, you're now stepping into helping other people find their purpose and gaining the confidence that they need in their life. And so yeah. I think it's really important. Uh, if people haven't, they don't know you, if they haven't connected to you, uh, it's really, uh, it'll be so powerful people to, to listen to this and then say, you know, Kelly's somebody that I need in my life because you are, because you're such a value to the world. And I appreciate you. you. I just appreciate you so much. Uh, This journey has been pretty awesome. I'm going to say that word. (laughs) (laughs) It has indeed. It has indeed because you're in it. So so tell people as we close here, how can we reach you, Kelly? Uh, You can reach me through uh, my email or phone. Um, I'm in the process of setting up a new website uh, and it's not ready yet. So it will be coming along, but my email is kelly.eckwurzel at gmail.com. That's K-E-L-L-Y dot E-K-W-U-R-Z, like in zebra, E-L at gmail.com. Or you can call me 214-794-6828. Love to talk to you. Perfect. And we will put this in the notes and it will be on the top of the, if you need to go back and look at who this podcast is about, that's how you can spell her name so you can look at it easily. (laughs) And uh, Kelly, I love you. Thank you for coming on Everyday Leaders. Thank you for being an everyday leader in my life. I'm going to cry here (laughs) because you are a special person to me and uh, I love you and and I want people to connect to you and, and understand the power that they can have just by that, getting that little inspiration from someone that can lift them up. And that's what you do. So thank you very much for just inspiring all of us every day. Thank you. It's just a matter of stepping into that growth zone, out of the comfort zone, into the growth zone. You heard it right here. Get up and do it. Be the everyday leader in your life. Take those steps. Thanks, Kelly. Thank you. This has been a Joe Studios production.